Arise, my soul, arise. Off your guilty fears and rise. I'm not going to make you stand, so you can be seated. <laughs> Well, this Thursday, April 15th, we saw authority at work. I'm sure you all enjoyed that. But also across the Atlantic Ocean, we saw authority at work on April 15th. Ash clouds were were rising from uh, Iceland's spewing volcano. And it halted uh, air traffic uh, all across Europe. And it was the authorities then who stepped in and utilized their uh, given power and uh, stopped and closed the airspaces over Britain and Ireland and the surrounding countries. And tens of thousands of passengers were left stranded, some no doubt feeling it was an abuse of authority. But I, I have no doubt that there were some who recognized that authority at times has to step in and utilize that power that has been granted to those who sit in authority. I looked up authority this week just to find a couple definitions. One I found was the authority, uh, authority is the power to influence or command thought. It is a power to influence or command thought, opinion, and even behavior. So authority can be powerful. Authority can be very helpful. And yes, when sinners have authority, it can be destructive and harmful. So you see, authority in itself is not bad. It depends on how it is being utilized and the motivations behind the use of the authority. Now, you're familiar in Matthew's Gospel, uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And as Matthew finishes recording Jesus' sermon, he says that those hearers who had heard Jesus' teaching were amazed at his authority and how Jesus taught with authority. And so then as an author, uh, Matthew arranges chapter 8 and 9 of Matthew with short narratives displaying Jesus' authority. He has said that they have declared that Jesus taught with great authority at the end of the sermon, and now he is going to show Jesus displaying his authority. And so last week I preached at an ARP church across the way, and uh, I went from Matthew 8, verses 1 through 17, in showing how Jesus used that authority to heal a man with leprosy. How he then went and healed the Roman centurion's servant, and then healing Peter's mother-in-law and those who were brought to him that evening who were demon-possessed. Following that uh, that time of healing on that last day there, Jesus then called his followers to follow him in his authority. And he told them to count the cost before they did. And so we pick up today with our scripture reading for today will be in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 8. And I'll be reading through chapter 9 and verse 8. Hear the words of the Lord. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. 
And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this, that even the winds and the the sea obey him? When he came to the other side, into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. And the demons began to entreat him, saying, If you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And they came out and went into the swine, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. The herdsmen ran away and went into the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they implored him to leave their region. Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. And they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God, who had given such authority to men. May God bless the reading of his word. Matthew continues, you see, to write of how folks, when they were encountered with Jesus, when Jesus encounters his world, they are amazed at his authority. And so we see that Jesus is in a boat. A terrible storm has arisen. The the waves are over the boat. And the disciples are fearful. The words that Jesus is to usher just a few moments later are, O you of little faith. This would have no doubt have reminded these disciples of what he had just taught in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6. When back in chapter 6, if you want to turn there, in chapter 6 and verse 26, beginning reading in verse 26, we see that Jesus said, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And you, and who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, that not even Solomon in all his glory clothes himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And so again, they hear the words, you of little faith, applied to them in their worry. In their worry over the situations in which God has brought them. They are in the boat with the one who John says in John 1, without him was nothing made. 
there in the boat with the one of who John says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God they are in the boat with the one who said let there be light and there was light and so Jesus is not uh, trivialized in the fact that they are, feel like they're going to drown you know we're only given a little s- summary here what Jesus is rebuking them for is that they are not committing themselves to trust their father when tough times come they are not trusting their father in the storms of life that God in his providence brings and this is why he says oh you of little faith we weren't there but apparently they were, they were whining and, and uh, scared in a sense that they were not trusting the Jesus they were with and this is why he says oh you of little faith they're panicking and they are not marching forward in faith though they are in the midst of trials you recall Jesus has just been quoted a few verses earlier of saying you know foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head so if you're going to follow me count the cost Jesus is showing his own disciples that you know when you follow me there's going to be some storms that arise and you're going to have to learn to trust God in the tough times my job is to stretch you to to reveal to you your dependence upon me and for now it means learning to depend upon me in fierce weather and not be whining about the storms that God has brought and we see Jesus here so uh, tired physically that he's exhausted he, he was sleeping and yet we see his power it was a simple word that he gave and the winds and the waves obeyed him the same one who had created all of the things that we see created in the six days is the one who could calm the winds and the waves and so ironically we find the disciples are the ones who are the ones with little faith and the winds and the waves inanimate not people they are obeying him Jesus is saying you know I lead you into circumstances that will drive you to me where you will find me more powerful the disciples are doubting him and yet the winds and the waves obey him and then we find Matthew telling us of the healing of the two demon possessed men in verses 28 through 34 Jesus is going to be shown here as Lord not only over nature and weather and the storms and the created order but even over the demonic forces the demonic powers these men were said to be so violent that others would not even go that way for fear that they would be violently assaulted uh, the demons apparently uh, had these men so emotionally disturbed uh, that these men were fuming uh, they were crazed they were vicious riotous Jude 6 tells us that the demons were those fallen angels who did not keep their positions of authority but they abandoned their own home and these are the ones that God was now keeping in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day and this is why Calvin said demons are powerful yes but they carry their chains with them and they know that that great day is coming for they, upon encountering Jesus, recognize Jesus' power, and they say in verse 29, Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? 
the disciples in the boat were whining being with Jesus the demons see the contrast the demons are shuddering in fear asking if Jesus has come to torture them before the appointed time in some strange way Jesus is recognized by the demons he is recognized as all powerful this is why James 2 alludes to demons. Uh, the situation in the book of James is that many were sick, claiming to have faith, but the problem was it was just a said faith. It was just a profession of faith, as we say today. And, and James says, well, good. Yeah, you say you believe in God, good. But even the demons believe in God and shudder. And shudder. The demons here were shuddering in the presence of Jesus. The demons are those who have inflicted evil on people. They, they bind them emotionally. They exploit people. And yet Jesus determines on this instance that he will not permit them access to these men anymore. And so the demons were cast out. The demons were cast out with a simple word, go. And so we find the pigs then frantically and, and violently are run off the steep hillside down into the water where they drowned. Luther, upon trying to comment on the, the power of the devil, the power of God, and trying to show forth that they are not equal powers, Luther said the devil is God's devil. And so we see here in this short narrative that demons are Jesus' demons. Say they must obey what Jesus says. They are not equal. What kind of man is this the disciples had just asked? Well, in the stories just preceding this one, we see that he is the man who touched a leper, cured a lowly servant, cured Peter's mother-in-law. He is shown to be a compassionate, sympathetic, warm-hearted man. But here, in this very story, we find Jesus to be just as uncompromising, unshakable, unswerving, unbending versus evil. Jesus is shown here to be the final judge. And so we have the promise recorded for us in later passages of Scripture that on that great and final day, God's people will have all evil removed from their presence. And we will live in a state of bliss with Him where sin will not even be present. Where temptation will not even be possible. Now we read that he then went into the, the uh, gathering of uh, the Decapolis region, where this is a Gentile region. And we see that the centurion earlier was a, a Gentile, of course, a Roman centurion, and he had been having his servant healed, and he had great faith. And now Jesus goes into another Gentile region. And so the breaking news is that, hey, that Jew's in town. Uh, the man who's, who healed the crazed de- demoniacs, uh, he healed those men. Word has spread. You know, when you are uh, watching television and breaking news is trying to be communicated to you, it comes across the bottom of the screen, right? Well, news didn't travel quite that fast in that day. And they're out on, uh, by foot and they are communicating that Jesus is in town. He has now come into this region. He comes across to gatherings two gadarenes or demon-possessed men and they are, they've been liberated, right? They, they've been unshackled, you might say. And so you would think the people would be excited. 
you would think that they went into town and told everybody, look, we can go to this man, Jesus, and bring people to him who can be healed, who can be uh, freed from demonic possession, who can be rescued from evil. But that's not what occurs at all. No, they determined Jesus might be bad for their local economy. Uh, they determined that, uh, you know, if he stays around here, uh, he might cost us like he cost that farmer there with the pigs. They decided that they would prefer economic stability to Jesus. And before we judge them too harshly, we must ask ourselves, how have we responded to God in these tough economic times? If God were to take some of your comfort and some of your wealth, do you get mad at Him? Do you not want Him around? You don't want to pray anymore? You don't want to read His Word? No doubt there have been those who have given up church in these last few years because to follow Jesus would mean a lack of comfort, a lack of economic stability that was experienced earlier and enjoyed. And you would think that these people here, right, they would at least be happy for those men. Uh, these men who have been liberated from demonic powers. But we must ask, do we really seek the good of others and enjoy their freedom in Christ, even if it costs us in our pocketbook? Matthew then takes us into chapter 9. And we see this different community in Capernaum, Jesus' town, where the earlier community there of the Gadarenes had run off Jesus. Just get out of here. We don't want you. This community, we find, has men carrying a paralyzed man. A great stark contrast here. Uh, these men caring so much for their friend. They are convinced, absolutely convinced, that Jesus is the only solution for this man's condition of being paralyzed. Well, Mark 2 tells us that this is days later when Jesus is in Capernaum. So everyone's getting excited. The word's out in Capernaum now as well. And Jesus is in this house teaching and now the house is full. And it's full to capacity. And as these men are carrying their friend, they cannot enter the house. They cannot get in to see Jesus. Uh, you can imagine some being resistant. After all, they're there to see the miracle worker for themselves. And though they can walk, they, they have no compassion for the one who cannot walk. They're more interested in Jesus for themselves. You can imagine the crowd inside this, this, this crowded home. And uh, they're trying to listen to Jesus, and suddenly they're hearing noise. Men outside yelling at one another, and then it sounds like climbing on the side. And next thing you know, they hear him up on the roof. And they're hearing this walking on the roof, and they're yelling at one another, and they're just very annoyed by this, you can imagine. And that's not all. Then we find the roof being opened, and you can imagine things falling down on the people, and they're upset. Who do you think you are? This is my time with Jesus. But these men are said to be men who Jesus said he saw their faith. The Luke tells us that they lowered him down on his, uh, in his bed, his couch, if you will, his his stretcher probably more like it with ropes and lowered him down to Jesus this man who had been a burden to them dead weight unable 
to care for himself, to walk himself. And yet they labor on. They must get this man to Jesus. Notice that they're willing to be thought foolish. They're willing to anger others and to upset others because of their faith in Jesus. Yes, there are times if you and I have faith in Jesus, we're going to have to upset others. We're going to have to run the risk of others not liking us as much because we must get to Jesus or we must get other friends to Jesus. Imagine yourself when you were lost, possibly a friend in faith on Jesus. Risked your friendship. Risked it by telling you that you needed to confess you were a sinner. You needed to find Jesus. And so these men are said to be men of faith, where they've angered the other people in getting the, this man to Jesus. So the body is lowered, and Jesus now sees this as a teachable moment. What is surprising and shocking here is, is what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, You're healed. Uh, you know, that's what the men expected to hear. Uh, you're healed. Uh, Jesus doesn't say, uh, let's go now and walk. That's not what Jesus says. It's shocking what Jesus says. Suddenly, the words are heard, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in all telling this story, immediately go to the, to the fact that there were scribes present, you know, religious teachers of the law. And immediately there's this opposition Jesus is making people upset. Who does this man think he is? Why, only God can forgive sins. This man is guilty of blasphemy. They must have been having terrible thoughts about him immediately. Probably how they could eliminate him. Because you'll notice Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. And he asks them why they have such evil thoughts in their hearts toward him. This man who has been shown to have authority over the weather and the storms and demons. And his disciples have seen this. And they're following with him. They now hear him saying, your sins are forgiven. And so Jesus says, "Um, which is easier anyway? Now, our son David... Over here as a sophomore in high school, I imagine if we asked him to pick up a, a, a piece of paper, it would not require much effort. A little bit of paper here. If we asked him to pick up something that weighed 100 pounds, I don't have any doubt that he could do that, but it would require a lot more effort. Jesus, who possesses all power, says, which is easier? That is because for Jesus to heal the man or to forgive his sins would require no more effort to do one than the other. All he needs to do is say the word. All he needs to do is to will to do it. So Jesus says, so so that you can see that I have power on earth and authority on earth to forgive sins. Stand up. Pick up your mat and go home. You see, what Jesus was trying to show his disciples and all the others who had gathered at that time was that this was no mere display of his authority and power to heal the man. No, this was done with a greater mission in mind. This brings us to the fact that we must ask ourselves, what is the relationship between uh, our sins being forgiven 
our, our, our bodies being sick and ill and suffering and even death. Well, first of all, I don't think we want to say that each sickness and suffering is a result of your particular sin. In fact, that is taught clearly in John chapter 9 when the disciples were making that mistake. Jesus rebuked the disciples and said, that's not the case. However, we must understand and from Paul that all sickness and suffering is a result from sin and that it is a result of living in a fallen world. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 5. He said, therefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so, death passed upon all men for all have sinned. Now what was very surprising to me, you know, you read over passages in the Bible and you don't see things and another time you read it and you go slaps you upside the head. Look back in chapter 8 and in verse 17. As Matthew has given these six short narratives depicting and displaying the authority of Jesus, we have in the midst of these, we have these words in verse 17, that these healings, these miracles, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. This is taken from Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4. Christ took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. How so? Well, Paul comments on this in Romans chapter 5. He says, For if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, uh, death reigned through that one man. It isn't that death just entered the world. It's that death reigned powerfully in the world. And so that death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through Jesus Christ. As sin and death actually reigned, Jesus came to bring life that would reign, conquering sin and death. And how did he do that? He who knew no sin became sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. He bore our sins on the tree. He bore our iniquities on the tree, the curse for them. His healing miracles are no mere displays of power to entertain. And, Matthew's point, it's not that they're even done just to heal, physically. They are done in anticipation of his work on the cross and in his resurrection. They are done to show that he has come to bring life. That he has come to conquer sin and evil. John says in 1 John 3, he came to destroy the works of the devil, who is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. They are done to give us glimpses of the new Jerusalem that we will experience. A place that Revelation 21 describes as a place where there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more deaths. Yes, Jesus bore our sins, our iniquities. He experienced a literal, physical death. And then he conquered death in his resurrection. He became the suffering servant for his people. And on the third day he came and resurrected from the dead and then said, Because I live, my people will live also. 
Now the men carried the paralytic and they lowered him down to Jesus. And they heard those words, your sins are forgiven. Don't you know one of them said, "Uh, dude, we didn't come here for that. We want to see him healed. We've carried him all this way. This has cost us. We're good guys, you know. Heard some very sad news just this past week. We have a friend in uh, Winter Haven, and his name is Brad, and he began to experience some headaches in recent months, and we didn't know about it. And she and his wife had talked about it. And then that moved from headaches to occasional blurred vision. And then suddenly, recently, he was lost. Didn't know where he was, couldn't think, uh, couldn't reason well. At that point, they knew something is drastically wrong. They went to the doctor. What would you think when he went to the doctor and said, Oh, we need to prescribe you a pair of eyeglasses. You, Every one of you in here, even children, would say, You're just treating the symptoms. You've got to get to the root of the problem, the cure. Jesus is saying, I didn't come just to treat the symptoms of sickness and disease. I came to bring life. I came to root out the problem. I came to conquer sin and death. And so Paul says in Romans 5, Just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so when he brings us forgiveness of sins, that's just the beginning. Because he's beginning to work in us his character, his life. This is why he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. As we are connected to him, his life becomes increasingly more and more manifest or revealed in and through us. So that it can be said we are being given in this life an abundant life, John 10. We begin more and more and increasingly to recognize our sin. That's a good thing. We begin more and more to see that we are put here to love God and to love our neighbors. And we start really just getting a kick out of that. Wanting to love our neighbors. And not worrying if they accept it or not, but that's what we're here to do. We begin to see our greater needs. And as we are increasingly sanctified and made more and more into His image, we begin to have our hearts more and more transformed. Jesus really came to meet our greater needs. We need new hearts. We need to be different people. Matthew tells us that after the man was healed, they praised God. They were awestruck for sending a man with such great authority. And you and I, as his people, may we continually be more and more awestruck as we realize Jesus utilized his authority to save his people from their sins. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray indeed that you would be exalted, that your saving work would be elevated in our minds this morning, that our hearts would be stirred and encouraged, that we would take heart, as you told that man to take heart. That indeed, if we have placed our faith on you, our sins have been forgiven. This I pray in your name. Amen.